0: I hope this morning that you have turned with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 as we work our way through this passage beginning at verse 3. In this passage we have a powerfully realistic view of gospel ministry, the experience of the gospel minister, and the way that we are to partner in the gospel, experience that partnership together. If you look at verse 3 with me, you'll see it says, We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. Now to be clear, when he says our ministry, he means the gospel. The gospel is the ministry. He wants to make sure that the way that they are going about the ministry of the gospel does not become um, an obstacle to the ministry itself. That the way is congruent with the ministry, with the gospel, this ministry of reconciliation, as he puts it in chapter 5. And so, he says in verse 3, we put no obstacle. Now it's interesting, that little phrase, we put no obstacle, could also be translated or We are trying to put no obstacle. We are making every effort in an ongoing fashion to put no obstacle in the way of this gospel ministry. The fact is, verbs are hard to translate. What's interesting about verbs is they're not hard to translate because we have a difficult time understanding the basic meaning of the word. That's clear. But what's hard to do when we translate from one language to another, or even try to understand our own language, is it's hard to capture what the verb is driving at. Paul is not saying here, we have not in some way, in the past, behaved some way, one time to not put an obstacle in the way. He's expressing an ongoing, compelling, conviction-laden labor the labor of humble submission and love in the face of hardship which drives him because he wants no pride to stand in the way of the glory and the grace of the gospel he proclaims. This is an ongoing labor born of a conviction. It's sacrificial humility that is necessary as a means of gospel proclamation because any other means is a contradiction, an obstacle to the sacrificial, condescending grace of the incarnation and the cross that are so central to gospel ministry. Hear me again. Sacrificial humility is a necessary means Of gospel proclamation. That's what the Apostle Paul will be driving at in our passage this morning. In order to bear witness to the gospel, we must labor to be about God's work. But we must labor to be about God's work in God's way. That way is described for us in the next passage. It's the way that The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians commends to the church there. Look at it with me. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found in our ministry. Verse 4, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. We commend ourselves. Now before we move on to consider the hardships of gospel ministry, let's see why Paul is doing all this. Why is he commending himself? I think Sam Storms, that's helpful at a number of points in our passage this morning. He says this here, Paul's preeminent concern with the ministry God has entrusted to him, not his own reputation or position or influence. The only self-condemnation he cares for is as a servant or minister of God. He is more than willing to be slandered and ridiculed, beaten, imprisoned, just so long as the glorious good news of Christ crucified suffers no reproach. This is what he is commending. He's commending the ministry. Which is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you look at the way that he commends that ministry, the way that he, he sets up the ministry of the gospel as commendable, he begins with these three words, middle of verse four, by great endurance. It's such a key word throughout the scriptures, partici- particularly in the letters of the Apostle Paul, by great endurance. I encourage you to to make make a note of Romans chapter 15, verses 3 through 4. In the middle of this this passage from Romans 15, he also quotes Psalm 69, verse 9. Listen. For Christ did not please himself, as it is written... The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Here's Paul's hope. This hope that that gives him great endurance. Not just that Jesus set a good example in sacrifice. That's not actually the root of his hope, an example that Jesus set. It's that Jesus has taken upon himself all the guilt and the shame of our rebellion against God. We have brought in our rebellion as God's creatures created for his glory. In our rebellion we bring reproach upon the Lord. And Jesus takes that reproach upon himself that we would not bear the wrath of God. It's in Jesus, taking that guilt and shame, that Paul remembers that. Not not just Jesus' example, but what Jesus has done for him gives Paul no fear, no loss, only hope in this life. Paul remembers this, So whatever hardship he may suffer in this life, his greatest enemy has already been dealt with. Though he suffers, though he's slandered in this life, he will suffer for his sin no more. That's his hope. And because he has that hope, because Jesus has already taken the reproach, the Apostle Paul can press on in this world with hope, with endurance, great endurance. And you'll see it truly is great endurance. If you continue in verse 4, you see what he has endured. By great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. It's great endurance in those nine things. Now, I think that they are in sets of three, it's not hard to see the sets of three that the Apostle Paul gives to us here? These hardships. They're, first of all, afflictions, hardships, and calamities. Suffering that's brought on often by the sin of others. It's it's when you step into the lives of other people to walk with them and share in their suffering by the afflictions they endure, they spill over onto the gospel Minister, as we enter into one another's lives, and perhaps as others who are around us bring affliction and hardship and calamities upon us in the midst of gospel ministry. Certainly, those are hardships. But he continues. He speaks of beatings, imprisonments, riots. This is suffering that's brought on by persecution. And yet Paul remains steadfast. It's actually because he remains steadfast. It's because he endures that the persecution comes upon him to try to, to, try to stop his endurance, to try to cease the gospel proclamation. We've seen afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots. And now the Apostle Paul mentions labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. I have to be honest, throughout the course of my life I've been thankful for the Apostle Paul's honesty in those three things in particular. Labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. I know some of afflictions and hardship and calamity. But I don't know anything of beatings, imprisonments, and riots. But labors, sleepless nights, and hunger? As a minister of the gospel, yes. And with you who labor together as partners in the gospel, yes. This is the personal turmoil of the body and soul as we are deprived and exhausted in the flesh. It's the sort of suffering endured on behalf of others, pressing on with endurance in word and in prayer that they might believe in the gospel and walk in Christ. And you and I know that that often leads to many sleepless nights and a variety of deprivation and, and suffering of the soul. This isn't the only thing that the Apostle Paul mentions. It's not the only way that he commends the ministry. It's not only by its sufferings. It's also by virtues. And and what I think might more properly be called righteous means. The righteous means that he mentions are in verse 6. Look at it with me. By purity... Knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech, and the power of God. I think you could summarize that list in this way. Perhaps it's basically humble faithfulness. In many ways, it's the love of First Corinthians chapter 13, love that is patient and kind. Why is it patient and kind? Well, because there is some trial, some person, some slander that is put in place where patience and kindness is needed. Love sounds nice. It sounds so sweet until we see the context in which love is most called for. And we say, oh, endurance in love is what is called for. Endurance in purity and patience and kindness, genuine love and truthful speech is what is called for. This humble faithfulness is the sort of love that hurts to love with. And so this love, this purity, this patience and kindness must be undertaken with great endurance. These virtues or these righteous means. Look at verse 7. In the second half of that verse it says with the weapons of the righteousness of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Both hands are occupied. So he has no hands left for the tools of unrighteousness. He's too busy with patient endurance become messed up in sinfulness and wandering. These are the righteous means of gospel ministry. Now it's interesting to me that in this list of righteous means that the by the power of God is, is sort of the, the period or the exclamation point at the end of the list. By not leveraging the power of the world, this is how we go about Ministry by the power of God, by not leveraging the power of the world, but by prioritizing the ways of God with endurance in the face of suffering. We don't labor while searching for some way to make gospel ministry easier, that we have a way that's given to us that's by patience, by endurance, in the midst of a variety of sufferings and say, well, what if we could figure out a way where we wouldn't have to be quite so patient. The bottom line is, as we cling to the righteous means, what we're going to find is there is no easy way. There is only the way that is in the Spirit by the power of God. And the Lord works there. He works there, and we will have the privilege of being the firsthand witnesses of the power of God in our weakness. We will be the witnesses who watch the treasure become treasured by others, even if the conduit is a mere jar of clay. Verse 8 shares with us a life that is filled with contradictions. Look at it with me. Verse 8, halfway through, it says, We are treated as imposters, and yet we are true. As unknown, and yet well-known. As dying, and behold, we live. As punished, and yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. This, there is a life, that when evaluated, can be evaluated according to the flesh. There is a life that is lived in light of the praise and approval of men. And then there is a life that is lived in light not only of eternity, as if we have to wait until this powerful world finally gets out of the way so we can see our lives in light of eternity. No, there's a life that is lived in light of the present reality of the power of God, which alone is eternal, enduring, and sure. This is a life that Francis Schaeffer would call true truth, a true reckoning of what is true. It's reality in light of transcendent reality. It's what the eye sees in light Of what the Lord sees. It's the dark night of the soul in the brilliant light of the gospel. That's why he says, as treated as impostors, when reckoned in light of what is true in this world, we look like impostors, yet are true in the light of God's call upon them to be gospel ministers. As unknown, really, they're nothing. They have no letter of recommendation except for the work that's been done among the Corinthians themselves. Yet well-known. I don't think here he's referring that you guys know me really well. I think he's saying that he is known by the Lord. and That's what's important. As dying, behold, we live. As punished, yet not killed. As sorrowful, as actually, as it's reckoned in this world, sorrowful, yet before the Lord, always rejoicing. As poor, it's true, yet making many rich. I have to pause there and say if you're poor, you don't make others rich. <laughs> He's poor. He actually is, and he should be reckoned as poor in light of the world, in light of what he has in the world. But according to the power of God, he has the means of the kingdom at his disposal. In light of transcendent reality, he has the means to make others rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. Here's the thing about these contradictions. They're actually real. They are, in their own right, true. It's not that it's almost like he's dying. It's that he is dying. He is giving his life for the sake of the ministry of the gospel among the Corinthians and those that he has the opportunity to proclaim. Paul died For the Corinthians and all the other churches that he served, right up to the point where he was dead. Literally murdered by the government authorities after being handed over by the religious authorities. But Paul was the one who was not only sustained, but had true, abundant, irrevocably eternal life. You see, he can be dying according to the flesh and be reckoned alive. Sam Storms puts it this way, the value system that accounts for Paul's point of view is one shaped by a belief in the reality of eternity, a life everlasting in which never-ending good prevails over evil, an existence in which the beauty and splendor of Jesus Christ provide ceaseless and ever-increasing satisfaction that transcends anything this current life can afford. This is reality in light of eternity. It's a little section here at the end of our passage, verses 11, 12, 13. We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak to you as children, widen your hearts also. Paul is bearing the true truth to the Corinthians. He's doing what the gospel alone does. Of all the worldviews, of all the philosophies that are at the disposal of people in this world, it is the worldview and philosophy and understanding of reality that the gospel gives us that is the most true truth, it can look at what is actually real and true and say it's hard. The ministry of the gospel, the life of the believer, is hard. It's filled with afflictions. It's filled with hardships, calamities. This is true but in the light of the countenance of the Lord as he shines on this truth. The real and true Lord enters the reality of our hardship for our sake and the sake of his glory and gives us the whole and complete of his spirit and kingdom so that hardship becomes light and momentary. And there is a weight of glory right now for the one who is engaged in the proclamation of the gospel. Paul opens his heart to them, wide open. If they can't be together as fellow participants in reality of hardship, then they simply can't be together. But it's not Paul who has withheld his infection from them. The call is to them, to widen their hearts also. and The call is to us, that we would widen our hearts to the reality of the Christian life, that there could be inclusive of the scope of affliction and hardship and great endurance in the righteous means of proclamation. Now, I want to close with another passage. It's a little bit later, in our scriptures, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, just six chapters later, verses 9 through 10. But he said to me, the Lord said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So what's up with hardships? Whoa, they're hard. What's up with calamity, insults, and weaknesses? They're calamitous. They are true Insults, they're slander, and we are weak. But here's the thing that Paul's getting at. He doesn't wait for hardship to not be hard. He doesn't wait until the mystery of suffering is revealed, and he can learn some great life lesson and say in his relief, your power was really made perfect in my weakness back then. It's right there in afflictions, hardships, and calamities when Paul is weak and life is hard. When Paul has nothing in the power of Christ, he possesses everything. This is the way of gospel ministry. Years ago, I could have preached this text. And it would have been true because the word is true. And I would have gladly declared the truth of this scripture to us. That ministry in the gospel is often hard and calls for righteous means that require great endurance. But this morning, after 22 years of deep engagement with and partnership in the gospel with the church, I can preach this sermon And know that hardship means hard. I agree with Paul, not only in my mind, but in my memory. In my soul, I agree, Paul. Hardship is hard. As I was writing that, I realized that some of you probably just laughed a little. You heard me say 22 years of gospel Partnership and you said 22 years, really? Wait until you've labored 30 or 4 years. Then you'll know what that sermon will really look like. And I want to tell you, I hope for that day. Because that day will be on the other side of even more great endurance. And I think that's the point of the text. Because today I can preach the sermon that when Paul writes the word hardship, he means hard when he says sleepless nights he means nights where you don't sleep but i want to grow with you church i want to i want to mature with you in this ministry i i want to be a servant of the lord for 40 years and preach an even deeper sermon I want to learn with you that taking up your cross is the easy yoke and the light burden because it is right there that we come to the end of our every earthly hope and learn to cling to the power that has secured for us a kingdom that cannot be shaken. One more time from Sam Storms. Nothing could be more obvious than this. If Christ is not himself a treasure of incomparable worth, a prize of incalculable value, a source of ineffable satisfaction, material hardship will only serve to embitter and harden your heart. And so I want to ask you an honest question. Will you go and learn this with me? Can we travel together, whether you're in your first year, your 22nd year, or your 40th year, of partnership in the gospel? Can we learn as we experience material hardship, social hardship, fear and anxiety and exhaustion, Can we learn together the incomparable worth, the prize of incalculable value, the source of ineffable ineffable satisfaction? You do know that churches learn these things together, that He's going to do this in the midst of our life, walking these years together. We have a Savior, and that Savior has gone before us right through the deep suffering, and he did so in the Holy Spirit and by the power of God. And he did this to take up the crown of life for us. He endured far more than we ever will. And you know how we know this. Because he endured the wrath of the Father upon our sin on the cross. And we'll never know that suffering. And that's why suffering is no suffering at all. This is why we can follow after him. This is why his yoke is easy and his burden is light. For the eternal suffering has been removed when he crushed death to death. So all that remains for us is great endurance in the Holy Spirit by the power of God for the course of this life. And so, the call seems quite clear. Let us go to Christ who has opened his heart to us let us go to him and let us go to his gospel and let us let him be our father let him tutor us in the way of the proclamation of the gospel together heavenly father We ask you to teach us. Because you're the good Father, we know you already are. And even this season that we are in right now, where so much of our material happiness has been stripped away, our routines, some of the foundations of our security, many of our ability to engage in relationships, These have been stripped away. This is material hardship. And in this season, we trust that you are disciplining us. I pray, Lord, that you would let us walk together, that you would let us encourage one another, that you would let us show us, remind us, that we can be as weak as Paul and rejoice, and that other people can know that we're weak and we. And rejoice because in our weakness you are strong and we see your strength at work in us thank you Lord thank you for the way of the proclamation thank you for the way of the cross thank you for the theology of the cross that we get to walk in what you've purchased and walk in your way And know that your resurrection has secured for us an eternal kingdom, an inheritance, a hope. Thank you, Lord. We we trust you for this. Help us to know how to walk together in the midst of your work in your church. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your great name. Amen.